So we've all had that moment where we've seen something in the world and thought, hey, wouldn't it be cool if or wouldn't it be better if, if this happened? If there was this solution, if we could solve that problem. But there's a lot of times when we think to ourselves, yeah, but that's in a world that I know nothing about, whether that be gaming or cars or anything. Today's guest has absolutely had that moment where they looked at a problem and that problem happened to be the education of children through video games and they thought, how could I fix that? Yet they had no qualification, no experience, no nothing that allowed them to think that they could go and do it. Yet they have. Today's guest, Aliche from Uma Games, has gone from working in an investment bank and knowing nothing about gaming or education to now building an amazing business. Today's episode is really moving and really inspiring because she's done exactly that. She's gone from having no idea a few years ago what she was doing to build an incredible business, getting onto Techstars, the best accelerator in the world, to going on to raising money successfully as well. And what's most powerful about it, as I said earlier, she didn't deserve to be here. Yet she is. Hope you enjoy the show. So the reason I want you to come on the show is because you've done something that I think is incredibly inspiring. So you had a job, a very good job in a very, a famously very well-paid industry, which has a very clear progression and is very enviable to a lot of people outside. And this, this was the, the 90s. It'd be like, that's like the dream job. For those who are listening, investment banking. Yeah, that's like the dream job. And yet you decided you want to go and get paid nothing because founders do not get paid very good money for a long time. And not only that, you didn't want to get paid anything. And you also did it in an industry which you have literally no right to work in. You have no qualifications. You're not a gamer. You haven't ever designed a game. You're not a teacher. You have zero teaching qualifications or educational skill set. Yet you've decided to embark on a journey where you're making video games for kids. And also, as far as I'm aware, you have no experience of working with children. Okay, so all of the things that you would think that you need to go and do this, you don't have any of them. And then not only have you done it, you've also been so successful at it that you managed to apply to the best accelerator on the planet, which is Techstars London. If you're listening to anyone who's been at YC, it's not as good as Techstars. And you've, you've, you, you've managed to get onto there, which has tens of thousands of people applied to go get on it yet you managed to get on it having zero qualifications to be there on top of that you're also a female founder which means it is at least 15 times harder to get anything done because it's everyone knows it's harder for female founders so i just need to understand what's happening here i'm either assuming that you're dating elon musk or (laughs) that there's something else going on here but so like let's Take the story way back. Okay, so you are, you're Italian. At university, you did you did some kind of economics, I'm assuming. Yep. Development economics. D- literally sounds so dull, but complicated. What does that <laughs> even mean? It's the study of the economics of um, Africa, the Middle East, and an unorthodox economics. Super light touch. I imagine <laughs> it's it was really, really simple, and morons like me would have breezed through it. So you I'm left sure. there, and you went to work straight into a bank with a year in between working with startups in India and in Chile. Okay, so there was a little bit of start to this. So A little bit. But you decided that startups were shit and you wanted to go <laughs> to the dark side and you got a job in a bank. Very dark side. Um, 
I decided that I wanted to be in an environment where I could really learn from uh, more senior people and kind of learn technical skills. And originally, I, I wanted to get investing experience to then get into, uh, into VC and investing in early stage startups. So longer term, I always wanted to go back to the startup world, but I thought, you know, I need to learn. And so I'm going to go into investment banking. So why, why did you like, why would, did you have the natural inclination to go towards the VC and investment side rather than the founder side because you, mm. you're, you're you're intelligent, you're charismatic and you know, why why did you want to now this is not me slagging off VCs, mm -hmm. but why did you want reflected success because mm. someone else has been successful and you've invested and helped them rather than the direct success that comes with building something yourself? Mm. Why did you gravitate towards that? Because I felt uh like I've always been someone that likes to learn about many different things and kind of be exposed to different industries and problems and going from knowing nothing about something to knowing quite a lot of it is something that really motivates me. And I always felt like there wasn't one thing that I was so passionate about that I could just focus on that for multiple years in a row and like pour all my heart and soul into that one specific product or problem. Um, and so I thought, you know, I, I don't have the specific passion, so I'm going to do something that's going to allow me to be learning about a lot of different things over time. Okay, that makes sense. Okay. So we're getting to the magic now. Okay, we're getting <laughs> to the, the part of the movie where you decide to take a big leap. Hmm. Okay, so you're in the bank. Yep. You're getting this investment experience, which I imagine was invaluable. Absolutely. In some way. And what <laughs> made you decide? I'm going to sack this off and hmm. I'm going to go and risk it all in something I know nothing about. So first of all, first two questions. What was the, was there, was there um, an inclination in your head at all times that actually maybe VC isn't right for me? Maybe I do just want to be a founder. What, hmm. what, what was the, the internal dialogue there? So it started with uh, a friendship basically my co-founder novella and i have known each other since we were zero years old we basically grew up together back in italy and while i was in banking she was an art director at a tech startup she was using game development software to do um, stuff in different industries and we with the pandemic like a lot of people both ended up kind of working remotely from home back in italy and her next door neighbor is her younger cousin who is a really kind of brilliant you know smart funny kid, uh, but during distance learning, I think in general, he tends to kind of struggle with getting motivated or stimulated by school and to stay concentrated on something for a long time. And so we were occasionally helping him with, um, you know, math homework, physics homework, like mostly STEM subjects that he didn't particularly love. Um, and it was really difficult to, to get him interested. Um, and we didn't want to use too much of the kind of like stick approach of like just making him do it against his will. And so, but then... Multiple times we saw him playing Minecraft and we were just blown away by how skilled he was, like how quickly he was learning to do new things and how articulate he was at like explaining different strategies and um, kind of understanding the systems behind the game. And so we thought, you know, clearly this game is the key to unlock this child. And why don't we find him video games that help him approach math and physics in the same way that he approaches Minecraft? And we looked for a few different options. His parents already subscribed to some e-learning apps. And the reality is that everything that we proposed to him in his eyes was like not a real game. It was um, 
like broccoli covered in prosciutto or like something that had, you know, points and avatars sprinkled on top, but he wouldn't call it a real game, which to us was um, sort of surprising because it, it sounded like things hadn't changed much since we were in school. But this, but in reality, this generation spends so much time in the metaverse and in gaming that it was a huge surprise to us that there aren't many good video games that are intentional about what they teach kids, despite games being clearly a learning experience. You start a game not knowing what you're doing, being bad at the game, and then by the end of it, you've mastered a certain set of like rules and skills that you need to progress and succeed in the game environment. And so they are an optimal learning environment, but they're not intentional about what they teach kids. And so long story short, we initially were like, okay, let's brainstorm a video game around algebra with Novella's cousin um, as an excuse to get him interested since we couldn't find something that he liked. Uh, but then I think we ended up getting way more obsessed with that than he did. And uh, it led us to have conversations with children psychologists and mathematicians and game designers and eventually to, to leave our jobs and, and start Uma. I love that. I love that so much. So it's, there's a, a great piece of startup theory, which is every single startup begins with one or two, one of two phrases. Mm. Wouldn't it be cool if, or wouldn't it be better if? Mm. Yeah. Wouldn't it be cool if I could order food from my favorite restaurants to my house, delivery? Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be better if I didn't have to go outside to order a cab? I could just do it on my phone. Mm -hmm. you know what I mean, there's those kind of things, yep. those two phrases. And you've looked at something and you've had that conversation. Okay. Um, now that's, you know, that's, that's great that you've had that. And I think, you know, everyone who's listening to this and most people have had a scenario where they've looked at a problem and they've thought, this would be better if you could do this. Mm -hmm. Everyone's had that moment. But what separates a founder from everyone else is to then have the courage to go and do something about mm. it, to make the change. So what made, what gave you the two questions here? And these are kind of the big ones, which is why you're on the show. The first one is what made this a big enough problem that it made you think it was worth building a business to solve it? Mm -hmm. yeah, that's the first question. The second one is, what gave you the confidence that you could do it? What made this kind of a big enough opportunity for us? Um, I think it's the kind of untapped potential that we saw in the medium. Like the fact that, as I said, video games are great learning experiences. And I deeply believe that actually kids are learning things in video games constantly. Um, and some skills that sometimes are even underrated, like, solving problems collaboratively or um, using logic to solve puzzles uh, or spatial reasoning. Kids that play video games um, have certain skills that kids that don't play video games have. And so on one hand, there was kind of the frustration of the untapped potential of the medium and the fact that kind of realizing that this is the first sort of gamer generation, the kids that are young today, by the time that they finish school, will have spent almost the same amount of time in video games as they have in the classroom. Um, and so it feels like if some of that time was spent learning useful skills and intentional skills, it would make a huge difference to their learning outcomes and how they would approach the classroom. And the fact that it's a big market opportunity. There's parents that spend in the US, for example, um, $10 billion a year in video games for their kids, like buying things in Roblox or paying for Minecraft servers. Um, and on the other hand, they're spending $30 billion a year on enrichment programs like 
tutoring or um, enhancing certain skills or learning instruments or skills that you don't learn in school. And so the fact that there is very little overlap between those two felt like another kind of source of untapped potential. And then what, the second question was kind of what made us want to do it. No, what gave you the confidence to do it? Because <laughs> the, yeah, you've got your co-founder, she's, an, yeah, she's a games designer, she designs games. She's as, a designer, yeah. As a designer, that is 5% of what it takes to make a game, okay? Right? Yeah. And so you've got, but then you have zero experience in space or and you've never built a company before yeah what gave you the confidence to think i can sack off my cool job i've got now hmm. and i can go and make a success of this despite having none of the qualifications necessary hmm. or i say qualifications it's like experience isn't it yeah you know what, yeah what gave you the confidence that you could do that i i think i just believe that like everything can be learned and one of the earliest things we did before even kind of leaving our jobs and starting the company was uh, read a bunch about like the learning process and kind of psychology and one of the things that I think helped us actually make this decision was discovering the concept of growth mindset which actually ends up being really famous but I wasn't familiar with that before and can you tell me what the, that is it's the idea that um, they they ran a bunch of studies on on children to understand what was the biggest predictor of success um, however you want to define success whether it's like getting into a top university or top job um, and what they found is that it's not, e it's not IQ, but it's mindset. Uh, mindset meaning there's certain people that tend to have a fixed mindset. They believe that intelligence is fixed. Given at birth, it, it is what it is. And you just have to kind of deal with that. And then there's other people that believe that everything can be learned and that actually those moments when you're struggling or feeling unable to do something or feeling kind of stupid are the moments when you're expanding your abilities. And so they seek those um, situations of discomfort because they know that it makes them grow. And that is the single biggest predictor of success in children. And I think that, and I totally believe that. I think that being in um, novel situation gives you the opportunity to like grow as, as a person and like learn new skills and coming to a sector from, this is a slightly separate point, but like coming to a sector from an outsider's perspective can also help you um, think outside the box. So many educational video games have been made by um, educators or by people that came from a more traditional gaming background. And um, I think that some of that experience is great and informing what you want to do, but some of it is also a baggage that is really difficult to break free of and to do something that is really innovative. Um, and so I think the combination of like believing that if you want to learn something, you can do it and, um, having the confidence that you can hire for the expertise that you need. If you have a, a vision that you believe in and that is kind of can be shared by others and bring the kind of innovation, innovate, innovative kind of outsider's perspective to a sector is like a pretty good recipe for, for doing something new and cool. I love that. I think I absolutely buy into it. I think it's, there's that thing, isn't there, where, um, well, there's it's three things I wanted to comment on there. One is that piece of, I love that you're talking about that growth mindset and that attitude that you can learn anything because you can learn anything. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like everyone who is in the job now and whether they're 10 years ahead of you or they're one year ahead of you, they started at zero, okay? Mm -hmm. And they just, they just got themselves there. Yep. And so they, they were no different to you when they got there. The second thing is, 
you're absolutely right. People who come from another sector or people come to something new with that naivety is a real superpower because mm-hmm. you don't have fear. You're not like, like if you have been in a role for, and I've done it, you've been in a role for five years and someone junior comes up to you and they're like, hey, Tommy, I think we should try it this way. You're like, nah, I tried that before, mate. It didn't work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Be like, no, no, I tried that before and it didn't work for me. That doesn't mean it doesn't work. In the same way that I think a great example of this is is um, is Elon Musk because like mm. he everyone was like nah you can't really make electric cars at scale you can't do it he's if like Ford can't do it why should you yeah exactly <laughs> but he's like well actually turns out I think I can yeah yeah because he just came in with a naivety it was a bit like well I'll figure it out yeah you know I look at it differently I'll figure out I don't have the burden of past failures I think that's great and I think also certainly anyone who is going into a sector completely new and completely fresh meet your heroes in that sector Mm. okay meet the people who are aspirationally successful and are doing incredibly well because what you'll realize is straight away people say you should never meet your heroes because you'll be disappointed in them because they're not quite the people you aspire to Mm. i say completely opposite you should meet them because then you realize they're just humans (laughs) you realize they're just the same as you they just took a risk they worked hard or whatever it was they were more lucky whatever it was they are just another human being and if someone else has been able to be successful then absolutely you can be successful as well i totally buy into that okay now but then you weren't you didn't have just done well you've done incredibly well you've managed to get on to Techstars. now there will be people listening to this right now who mm. want to be on Techstars. Mm. okay now how did you no product yeah, did have a product yet, did you? No. Nope. You were super early stage. It was just, just a PowerPoint and a founder and a co-founder. What do you think it was that separated you from the rest of the crowd that allowed you to get on there? I think, and I'd be curious to ask uh, Eamon, the MD, about this, actually, because we've never had this conversation Please feel after free to the listen. fact. You should listen to his episode. Um, it's very good. <laughs> so I'm, 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 I don't want to put words in his mouth, but if I had to guess why we were able to get into tech stores, I think it's because of... Uh, how focused we were from the very beginning on speaking to users and customers. And in our sector, those are two different people. The users are the students or the the players and the customers are the parents. And the fact that we were actually working really, really closely with them from the very beginning and trying to, as two non-technical co-founders, still put things in front of us that would help us test assumptions. And so I think he was um i think he liked that we could achieve a lot with very little um and do that with a really laser focus on kind of spending time with with kids and you are continuing to that it's really impressive and i completely attest to that i think obviously because the 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 golden ticket the secret of startup success is speak to your customers mm-hmm. that's it now that leads me on very nicely to a really functional question i have for you hmm. okay Speaking to customers is pretty hard, mm-hmm. generally speaking, because, you know, you have to go and find them. The pension customers, you have to try and talk to them about something that hasn't been built yet. You have to do it with an open mindedness that they're not necessarily leading you down a path that you've created for them. How do you do that when your customers, well, when your users are four years old? <laughs> well, how do you do that? <laughs> yeah, it's particularly difficult, I think, to have a user base in that age range um, because everything that you can sometimes assume or kind of infer about how your experience with a product or with 
something can translate to another adult, like could completely not hold true for for a child in like a fundamental way. And so um, actually your experience of something may mislead you to believe certain things that like are not going to be true for a child. Um, and the the other, I think, difficult thing is getting a hold of your users when they're in that age group, uh, because rightly so, like parents and schools, which are kind of the gatekeepers of children, are incredibly protective of them and incredibly busy, of course. And so uh, it's not like you can, you know, go into the streets and be talking to a six-year-old in the same way that you could, you know, do market research at a coffee shop talking to strangers. And so it took time for us to build a network um, of families and of schools that kind of trust us to spend time with kids. Um, and it started with like, you know, a few family friends and initially then they would introduce us to someone else that we would have a call with the child and the parent who would need to be there for the first few conversations and then eventually kind of trust us enough to let us spend time with them on our own. Um, and similarly with schools, you know, not having uh, kind of come from the education sector before, uh, we at some point were literally cycling around London, kind of knocking on schools' doors, trying to find someone in the school that would kind of be interested in what we're doing and and want us to come into the classroom and work with their kids. Um, I hope you don't mean you were literally knocking on doors because that's how you get arrested. We were listening. Don't literally walk around to schools and knock on the door. Be that like, is... I, wa I want to talk to some kids in here. That's not going to work out. Knock on the door, ask to talk to teachers. And then yeah. through the teachers, uh, like, you yeah. get to talk to It's a really kids. bad strategy. Uh, we, we had to get a... a what I later found out is called a DB enhanced DBS check, which yes. is literally a background check that, you know, says which you failed you're because you're, you're incredibly colorful criminal record. <laughs> exactly. It's <laughs> hard to get. I think that that was actually one of the few advantages of being two young female founders is that the people will trust you uh, with, with their with child. Kids. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's um, definitely true. As, yeah. You're right. In that sense. Um, and, and so, so it it took it took some time to kind of have access to a pool of potential users that we could do user discovery with, um, and to have enough of a variety of kind of ages and um, you know gender personalities, etc. And then once you have access to the kids, what what we had to learn was, as you were saying, like how do you actually work with them when they operate like on a in a very different way to an adult, and so. I think a common mistake that I made at the beginning was um, treating them like kids. And what I found with, I mean, experience, honestly, and, and mistakes is the last thing that kids want is to be treated like kids. And in that, and they want to be treated like equal. And I think in that, me and my co-founder have developed very different strategies. I tend to now speak to kids like they were adults. I'm very straightforward with them. I never assume that they're not going to understand the nuance of something um, I tell them like, why are we here? What are we trying to achieve? Like hyper transparent. Um, and I think that kids kind of level with me on that, even if they're six years old. Whereas my co-founder, who's very different from me in terms of personality, she has this like incredibly high EQ and is like a really kind of free spirited, disinhibited person. Like she almost becomes a child when we're with kids and she like, uh, really sees the world through their experience and plays with them on the floor and is like, one of them in a sense right. um which is very funny to see but i think that that helps us get them in a place where they can be themselves with us and like really tell us what they think um and then an, i think another mistake that we made at the very beginning was treating kind of following you know the mom test or these books that tell you how you're supposed to run user discovery 
And it was these kind of, you know, one-on-one -on -one conversations where you're asking kids a bunch of, of questions uh, about, you know, what they do, how they're spending their time currently with games or going into schools and doing focus groups. But what we found is that actually for, for a child, like that is kind of a strange situation to be in. Like, why is a stranger asking me a bunch of questions and they end up feeling like not, not really um, at ease or themselves. And so what we've started doing, um, like as we learned that, was trying to kind of slot into their normal daily life. So now when we have to do user discovery with a family, we will go to their house on like a Sunday, like a babysitter or a friend, and just, you know, while the parents are working, spend a couple hours with their kids. Or uh, if we have to go work with a school, we will organize like an after-school club, which there are many of the kids already participate in, where, which in children's minds like totally justifies why they're doing these activities. Or if we need to test like a math concept, um, we're just going to like tutor kids. Like for the first six months of running UMA, I was tutoring a few kids and testing like different levels of difficulty, understanding what are the things that confuse them. Um, and so it's kind of creating situations that for them are natural parts of their daily life that you're just an observant in rather than making them feel on the spot. Yeah, I like that. I like the super smart. I think also it's interesting that you were sort of counter to the, uh, the mum test, which is almost like a Bible for these things. I, I think the mum test is brilliant for adults, but it, it doesn't really touch on how do you work with a different demographic. Yeah, I absolutely buy into that. I agree with that. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying the conversation that we're having here today. Pretty cool, isn't it? But I really quickly want to tell you about a show that I really, really like called Secret Leaders. They have amazing content on there and some really great advice for founders. So you're about to hear from the host right now. So listen up. If you're an entrepreneur in the UK and want to hear some powerful lessons from founders of companies like Deliveroo, Joe Malone and Monzo, then check out the Secret Leaders podcast. Each week, I have a raw conversation with someone who's changed an industry like fertility, esports, raving and crypto, so you can build a better business. Want to learn how to bootstrap, create a magnetic brand, get your first customer or even fire your mum? Yep, that really happened to one of our guests. Search Secret Leaders in your podcast app. See you there. In the current climate, marketing is hard. But do you know what isn't hard? Making sure you never miss an episode of your favourite podcast. So tap the follow button on your podcast and you'll never miss out on the latest episodes of Unicorny or Marketing Difference. You can even go back and listen to our back catalogue of amazing episodes. If you do that, please leave us a review. It would mean so much. You started a business with your best friend, mm -hmm. okay, which generally speaking, people are like, don't fucking do it. But there are <laughs> loads of really great experiences, people doing yeah. that. For example, um, Eric, who've been on the show, Sam and May, they started, they're best friends and they started, mm -hmm. and they've been unbelievably successful. Um, uh, my, my, my best friend, she started a hedge fund with, uh, with, her, um, with her husband. And I started a business with my best mate. You know, mm. like it's... Uh, a lot of people do it, but I'm interested to hear from you because a lot of people will be like, oh, I'm told that I shouldn't start a business with my best friend. This is really nerve wracking. Should I do it? Mm. Help me out. Tell me the tips you have to making it work because obviously it is working. Mm. Because by the way, there are lots of examples of it really doesn't fucking work. And that's why people have these problems. There has been lots of relationships that have been destroyed through startups yeah know, because like i'm the ceo no i'm the ceo you know the usual stuff how did you guys how do you navigate it how do you make it work <laughs> it's funny because on our first day on tech stars i remember eamon talking about 
how starting a business with a friend was the worst idea ever. And he was like, yeah, I want to see how you two are doing by the end of the program. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, thankfully, we're doing great. But it's definitely, uh, it's definitely beautiful in some ways and more difficult in others. Um, I think my advice is to people that are thinking of doing that is it depends on what kind of friend that is. So for example, uh, in the same way that you may have lots of really good friends, but you wouldn't live with all of them. Some of them you think are a better fit for living with them and others you maybe just want to hang out, like, but each have your own house is, is kind of the same. So it needs to friend, be a friend that you could almost marry in a sense. Mm. Um, and I think what's important or what has been really important for us at least is that in some sense we're completely aligned on the really important stuff. Like we follow the same moral compass um, like we we have the same vision. We usually agree on the really important decisions, uh, like hiring or vision or kind of things that are really defining to the company. Um, and that's been the same in our in our friendship. Like growing up, we were always kind of the same person in some ways, like at a deeper level, as if we were kind of sisters. And that's probably because we literally grew up together and, and spent so much time together as, you know, toddlers and, and children that we must have, you know, developed in, a, in similar ways. But while we have that kind of common ground and foundation, we also are very, very different and complementary in other senses. So growing up, I was always the kind of more STEM nerd, like I was more like the logical thinker and... I, I liked doing math competitions and that kind of thing. Resnovella was always the artist and the creative and she was making things with her hands, which I was usually terrible at. I'm very jealous of her ability to do that. Um, and so that has also been true like in our, in our daily life at UMA. Usually we bring very different perspectives to problems and we have a different way of approaching problems. And so that means that we can, it's not like an eco chamber where, you know, I say something and um, and I met with like the same exact perspective on the other side. Um, and it also helps separate the roles. So it's very clear that certain things makes much more sense for me to do and other things makes, makes much more sense for her to do. Um, so I would say, depend, like choose the right friend to do it with. Make sure that you have like a very, you share like certain deep features and uh, values. Uh, but you're also different enough that you're not going to be kind of stepping on each other's toes or reinforcing each other's opinions when you sometimes need a difference of opinion. I like that. Do you take time to hang out as friends? Yeah, yeah. At the beginning, we kind of stopped. We were spending so much time together as founders that like when we had that little tonan free time, we were like, I cannot hear your voice anymore. And now, but now I think we've kind of found a balance where you know, we'll go out, party together or travel together. And, um, and that's really fun. Yeah, I like that. That's cool. Um, three more questions. Okay. <laughs> so first one, mm. you are an exceptional networker. Okay. I know that because that's how we met. Okay. Through, <laughs> you met someone who introduced you to someone who introduced you to me. You know, yeah. like it was a, you are, you're very, you're very good at it. What are you, and I believe that it's one of the key superpowers of every founder that they have to really harness and become really good at is your ability to to meet as many people as possible. Because mm. if you are going to 
optimized for serendipity, which can be the make or break of a business. It can make something happen that you just never anticipated. You have to be good at networking and you are very good at it. What is your advice to people to become good at networking? Mm. My advice is, um, firstly, like, don't be scared. I think that initially I used to be very um, kind of self-conscious asking strangers to have a conversation. Um, and I'd be like, why would they be interested in talking to me? Or why would they have time? Like, everybody's busy with their own stuff. Mm. Uh, but actually, you'd be surprised like if you genuinely have an interest in speaking to someone about something that they are passionate about, um, you can literally drop them a LinkedIn message or a Twitter message and expect to get a reply from, uh, in our case, honestly, the majority of them. Um, and so some of like the people that have helped us the most uh, so far with Uma have been people that I literally wrote, like I saw a lecture that they gave online, thought it was brilliant incredibly aligned with what we want to do that we could learn so much from their work wrote them a LinkedIn message and they replied and uh, these are people that have you know so much of their own stuff going on that I could have easily said like oh they're never gonna get back to me so why even waste the time and so I think part of it is just like don't be shy um, and don't be scared of rejection like if people don't answer like whatever you miss every shot you don't take in a sense um, and the other advice uh, would be kind of to be um, genuinely interested in learning from people and being very honest about what the, what's up in this kind of relationship, right? Like, are you like people really appreciate when you're really transparent about, uh, you know, in our case, um, being humble about like what we don't know and what we want to learn from that person, or mm. if we're actually looking for. Um, something a bit more transactional, like being really upfront about it. Um, I think people appreciate that kind of honesty. Um, so yeah, don't be shy and be like very honest and transparent. I think that's great. I really do. I think one thing I'd add to that, anyone listening, is that you, not all the conversations you have will be immediately useful to you at the time. Mm -hmm. And you won't realize that at the time. And it may be like, oh, I just met this person. It's pretty cool. But if you have that relationship, you don't, You'll be surprised. Some of them, you'll come back to them in six months and be like, I really need someone to help me with X. Oh, yeah, I met mm -hmm. Claire and she can do that. You know, so just because it's not relevant right now doesn't mean it's not going to be relevant at some point. Yeah. You know, so just uh, remember that. I guess the last thing that I would add on top of that is like to really take care of, of your network and the people that help you. So even if, like, as you said, like there may be moments where someone can help you out a lot and there may be moments where maybe what you're focusing on is not a, a their area of expertise or mm. they are really busy with something else and they don't have time to spend with you. And I think that regardless of that, like kind of keeping in touch and keeping people updated, um, even when you're not like pressingly needing their help, um, helps you create like a more kind of solid and genuine network rather than one that feels like super transactional. I like that. Okay, final two questions here. All right, first one. You're a founder, you're a successful one. What is a startup hack that you would share with every founder to help them accelerate their business that you've learned in your own experience? Hmm. I feel like it's so difficult to say something um, original here because a lot of the startup hacks is things you've heard, but like you don't fully realize until you've lived them on your own skin, on your own yeah, Well, that skin. makes it a perfect hack then because you know <laughs> it doesn't matter if it's recycled. If it's good, it's good. Um. I would honestly go back to 
speaking to your customers and how to do that. So in our case, uh, I think at the very beginning, and this is especially true if you work with kids, but like I think it's true of everyone, um, you tend to kind of shy away from the awkward moments in user discovery. And like um, when, for example, we were testing some of the early kind of paper prototypes or prototypes, when you can see that like uh, the player is confused or not having a good time, your instinct is to kind of step in and fix for that. And like either explain or overcompensate by making the conversation engaging so that you're distracting them from the fact that they're bored or confused by what they're doing. And it's like truly such an innate is instinct because we don't like witnessing someone not having a good time or being confused or just being in a situation of discomfort, right? Especially if you're the one who's inflicting that on them. And I think every product will put your first users through that at the beginning. And again, I had read this, but I still did it despite having read that I shouldn't do it. Um, and I just learned over time that you have to like sit there and live with the discomfort and that's when you're really going to learn about like what is it that 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 customer and or user in our case in that moment is like confused by or not happy with and kind of let them have the real experience even if it makes you or them uncomfortable and learn from that uh rather than kind of overcompensating i like that i really like that and you'd be surprised how often you probably won't be surprised how often people mention that as a uh yeah hack. it really is just talk to your customers yeah um Last one, you're a new founder, so you're and you are surrounded by founders. You've been on Accelerator. Mm. What is one thing that you think is so shit about this found founder sphere and the startup culture? We call it the startup sin bin. It's something you would just wish would just fuck off and disappear. Founders not being genuine with each other about the things that they're struggling with, like that mm. drives me crazy. And I think we're all guilty of that to some extent because it's such a world where um, at the end of the day, like you need to be optimistic and like believe that you can do anything at all times. And so it does kind of, uh, it, it aligns with what you're trying to do that you need to be like at your best self and optimistic and smiling at all times. But at the same time, like then when you're going through difficult periods, you feel so lonely because it's like everyone else you look around is having the best time and the easiest time ever, right? Mm. And so I think just being more, um, I, I wish that in the startup community there was more kind of real sharing of real problems and yeah. not just kind of yeah. problems that are easy to fix. And I, I think that within Techstars actually um, that was very much the case. Like people were super open about it, but it's because that was very intentionally created. Like that kind of sharing atmosphere was very intentionally created by the program. But once you step outside of that, like in the startup community, you tend to feel uh, like you're kind of alone in your struggles sometimes. Yeah. Obviously, I mean, yeah, I've never had any problems, so I can't relate to that. It's all of course, you haven't. Neither have I. I don't know exactly, what you're talking all about. All the way to my startup <laughs> thing, it's been absolutely fine. No problems. No, no tech problems. No fundraising problems. No staff problems. <laughs> Everything's been a home run every single time we've done it. Didn't launch an NFT during the worst possible NFT market just after the <laughs> lunar crash. But that didn't that didn't happen. Don't let anyone think it did. Didn't launch a business. Hire you know 10 people then there'd be locked out and not have an office or yeah, it, don't worry about it those things didn't happen to me you know everything was fine <laughs> okay it was um, look, you've been a really great guest genuinely and thank you so much for coming on i am 
so inspired by what you've you've done and the courage you've had and i think that anyone who's listening should really take away from it that you know you're just an incredibly unintelligent normal person and yet you've still managed to be a success (laughs) it's incredible and i think it's really it's really impressive and i i hope it works out thank you tom thanks so much great to be here